Hey, podcast listeners, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies is sponsoring its annual biblical symposium at St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 8 to 9, 2019. This year's keynote speaker is Dr. Robert Miller from the Catholic University of America. Meet Father Paul Tarazi and other scholars who will present and discuss papers on biblical exegesis and language. Join Father Mark Bulos and Dr. Richard Benton for a live recording of the Bible's Literature Podcast. Engage with others like you who are committed to biblical studies for all who have ears to hear. Register online at ephesusschool.org. Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. When we step back to consider the full scope of any effort, even when the work in front of us pertains to God and not to mammon, it's easy to become paralyzed by stress and anxiety. In Matthew, Jesus solves this problem by narrowing the scope of our worries yet further. Yes, we must limit our concerns to the Master's instruction for us, but that is not enough. We must also become far more deliberate and practical in the execution of our duties because it's not the master's commandment in abstraction that we serve, but the master's demands of us now, at this very moment when both the need and the task are within reach. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 31 to 34. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 257 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We spoke last week, Richard, in Matthew chapter 6 about worry. Everyone wants to be worry-free, but in fact, the main point of the passage is, as always in Scripture, the question of who you pertain to. The invitation that Jesus is setting forth to his disciples is that they consider choosing his father as their master in the place of mammon. And of course, when we say choosing the father of Jesus as our master, what we mean, if you don't know by now, is that we are choosing to follow the instruction of the father of Jesus contained in scripture, which sets us free from bondage to the oppressor, And I mean the oppressor in a very literal, worldly sense, the one who tries to lord authority over us, the one whom we fear out of anxiety and out of a desire to be successful or to be safe or whatever, that we are set free from that fear, from that tyranny, and at the same time set free from worry if we trust the wisdom of our caregiver, our keeper the Lord's Torah. Right. And the funny thing is, is the masters that human beings 
choose to follow are the ones who actually have very little to offer, whereas the Lord, the Father of Jesus, is the creator of the heavens and the earth. In the last passage, the point was made very clear that birds, even though they don't work, have everything they need. And the lilies of the field, even though they don't matter in the grand scheme of things, are dressed even better than Solomon. This is the Lord who gives generously to ones who do nothing just because of his generosity. The Lord, the Father of Jesus, gives because he chooses to give. And Hosea, there's a choice. You can either choose to accept what God grants out of his mercy, or you can refuse it. But if you refuse it, then you're left as a dry, barren land with nothing, completely barren as in a dry land, but also bare in that you have nothing to cover you or protect you. It seems, as the prophets explain it, to be an easy choice, but it's the one that the human ego makes an impossible choice, because the human being wants to ground its own safety in something it can control. And that's the problem. A, we don't control anything, and B, we receive everything we need from the hand of the Lord. The interplay here in Matthew chapter 6 between worry and the fear of the power of death, the power that's wielded by earthly rulers, the fear of mammon, all of it is interconnected. And here, again, the paradigm of shepherdism is highly functional in the Gospel of Matthew, because the shepherd in Genesis can move his flock to another locality to seek pasture or water at another well. There's always another oasis. There's always someplace else to go. So you have nothing to worry about. You're in the care of the Lord. There is no conflict. There is no reason to claim a piece of land or to fight for security or to attempt to control anything. It's key for understanding the liberation in Exodus and the liberation from anxiety here. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? Why shouldn't you worry? Because this is open country. There's other wilderness that has plenty of vegetation to graze on. And there are other wells. There are other sources of water. There are other places to go. We don't have to worry about conflict. There's plenty here we can find to cover ourselves. We don't have to worry. Everything we need is provided for us by God in nature. You're not allowed to worry or think about what you're going to eat, drink, or be clothed with. You're not allowed to think about it. Don't worry about it. There's two reasons. One, because there's nothing you can do about it. And secondly, it's all provided for you. The more you worry about it, the more you think about it, it's not going to help you. If people actually believed this, and I just don't think that anyone really believes in the Sermon on the Mount just because it goes so hard against our biology, there would be no self-help section at the bookstore, nor would there be a business section at the bookstore, because all of those are about people's worries and anxieties. But he's saying, you aren't allowed to worry about any of these things. It sounds so flaky, to an American. I mean, it just sounds dumb and flaky. Don't worry about that stuff. At work, when you have to do your self-evaluation about all the things that you've done and all the things that you have accomplished, when you compare it to this, I mean, how does it make sense? When you're trying to make business goals for the next year, how does that make sense in the context of chapter 7? 
it makes no sense whatsoever. This sounds just as foolish as those plans sound foolish in the context of Matthew 7. You aren't allowed to think about any of these things. You aren't allowed to worry about these things. And Jesus tries his hardest to come up with examples to show that those who worry do not necessarily get more, and those who don't worry don't necessarily get less. Everything comes from the palm of the Lord's hand, and he allows it to rain on the just and the unjust. What is your planning, what is your worry going to accomplish in the end? Nothing. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So he's saying, don't worry. And we all know that the nations seek these things because this is the currency of how they live. It's about wars and rumors of wars and commerce and conflict and politics and intrigue and tyranny and, and, and. We all know how they fill their time. But your Heavenly Father already knows what you need. And here I insist that our listeners contextualize this correctly, because the Gospel of Matthew is not saying that God is spending all his time thinking about what you need. The teaching to which we are all accountable, to which we are called to place our trust in, understands the human condition and understands what is needed for us to be useful for the cause of the gospel. And what is needed for us to be useful is what is needed. Remember that we don't pertain to mammon. We pertain to the Lord, which means that we are now slaves in his household, which is all about our utility. So Scripture knows exactly what it expects from us and what it needs from us and what we need in order to accomplish its mission. And if you trust that instruction, you have nothing to worry about. You just make a decision to trust, and you take what it provides. This is already the second time Jesus reminds the hearer that your Heavenly Father knows what you need. This was also the admonition not too long ago when Jesus was talking about prayer. You aren't allowed to pray for a long time because God already knows what you need, and you're not allowed to worry about what you need because God already knows what you need. There's no reason to remind God or worry that God is not going to come through. Everything that you need is already here. The only thing to worry about is to whom you pertain. If you claim to be part of God's household, the household of your Heavenly Father, then you trust in Him to provide for you. I mean, when I lived in Morocco during Ramadan, I was so hungry. My host father would feed me, and I wasn't getting enough food. I was still hungry. So I'd go to his niece's place downstairs in the same building, and she would give me some soup or whatever. And my host father was so angry with me when he found out. Why are you going to other people for food? I feed you. I didn't trust him. I didn't know that I was insulting him because I was a dumb Westerner, but I was insulting him by implying that he wasn't providing for me, and that would shame him in front of the rest of his family. You are rejecting God when you go someplace else for sustenance, when you go someplace else to be taken care of. 
there's only one to whom you pertain, as you said, Father, and that is your heavenly Father. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I hear already in verse 33 echoes of chapter 10. Because if you set out in service of the kingdom, if you set out to do the work of the kingdom, which is what it means to seek the kingdom, you seek the kingdom in Scripture, and Scripture sends you out. So they go hand in hand, seeking and then going out. If you seek the kingdom, if you seek to do the work of the Lord's righteousness, which is contained in the instruction, which contains the kingdom of God. If you do that, everything you need to do what the kingdom requires of you will be provided in the content of the teaching that presents the kingdom to you. You go into the text to seek the kingdom of God, and then you find the wisdom that pours out of the kingdom for your sake and for the common good. And you are prompted by that wisdom to share it with others, to do its work for the sake of the common good. And if you take up that mantle and do what is asked of you by the one who rules the kingdom, he will provide what you need to carry out the mission. That's why earlier, Rich, I was stressing this question of utility. If you serve mammon, you look to mammon to provide comfort and satisfaction. If you serve the Father of Jesus, you look to him and his Messiah on the throne in his kingdom to tell you what your duty is and what is required. And no one ever discusses Matthew in this way because we are not a people of duty. We are a people of services and conveniences. We are not a people of duty. We are a people who look to others to do the duty that we don't want to face. Then we claim that those who perform those duties for us are criminals. The left hand is sliding them money at one-third the rate that anyone else would take for the work that they're doing, and the right hand is being raised in complaint against them in the court of law. That's what it's like to be a people who are not a people of duty. And that's why we cannot understand Matthew. When we're outsourcing, we think of ourselves as the master of the house. We completely flip the paradigm that Jesus is trying to impose on us, which is that we are children of a heavenly father, as opposed to the master of our own house, and we decide who works where, as if we own our own slaves. We don't own anything in this kingdom. We are owned in this kingdom. And so the righteousness that we seek is a righteousness according to the law of this kingdom. You've mentioned before, and we've talked about it a lot, that being part of the kingdom is being a citizen. It's a member of a household, but in the Roman Empire, the entire realm of Rome was a giant household. The, the household was the basic unit of the Roman Empire. And so the Heavenly Father is the master of this entire house, just like Caesar is the master of this entire house. There's a certain righteousness, which means you follow the rules of the house slash empire slash kingdom. And so it's about seeking those rules and seeking to do those rules. It's seeking righteousness in the mind of the ruler. But as you've said, Many times already today, Father, we pertain to one Heavenly Father and to one 
ruler. It's his righteousness alone that we are to follow. And those are the rules of the kingdom. And this is the kingdom that we're always seeking to realize in our actions. This is why John the Baptist is saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven keeps coming up and coming up. And now it's just the kingdom. But the kingdom that we're to seek does have a duty that it imposes on us. We have a duty to perform. And that's to perform according to the laws of the kingdom of which we're citizens. We have laws that we need to follow, and we need to do anything like a good citizen of any country does. It's just that if there's any kind of conflict between the kingdom that we pertain to and the nation we happen to live among, one clearly supersedes the other, and we have to do what the former demands of us, which is to follow the righteousness of the kingdom of our Heavenly Father. When you live in a community of people who are duty bound, What happens is that the precept of Galatians, that we are called to bear one another's burdens, that precept is naturally fulfilled in the way that people relate to each other. When you are duty-bound and when you have a social contract and you understand what your duty is, you don't have to explain and you don't have to ask when someone is in need. It gets taken care of. So the nice thing about duty is that you exchange honor between friends and even between strangers instead of exchanging money. Because when you fulfill your duty, you honor all those who are connected to you and you honor the one whom you serve. When you live this way, you have nothing to worry about. When you live this way, everyone knows what to do about the homeless man, or about the sick child, or about the person who's feeling depressed or lonely. Everyone knows what to do, because at the root of duty is the impulse to take care of each other. In a society like ours, where we don't have duty, where we just write a check to someone else to fulfill our duty, where we outsource our duty without realizing it, What we do each time we invest in a service is we divest in community. When you invest in outsourcing your duty, you are divesting in the community. At the end of the day, the one who does the dirty work is the beneficiary, not of your fiscal generosity, but of the fruit that grows out of their toil. When we try to help, in this way from our American point of view, from our worldly point of view, from our Gentile point of view. We have to count our cost and see, do we have enough? Can we afford to? Is there a way that we can make it all work out? And then once we go through that calculus, then we decide how much we can give, how much we can help. The mentality that Jesus forces upon the listener is that you're not allowed to think about whether you have enough or not, or if tomorrow there'll be enough. When someone has a need, you give, period. You're not even allowed to think about how you want to help, because if you're seeking the kingdom, you're being given specific instructions on the specific ways in which you are to serve. You're not free in the way that we want to be free when we outsource something. Right. When we outsource, we have to figure out what the cost, we have to do a budget and, you know, how is it going to work out in the end, yada, yada, yada. 
when we believe that our Heavenly Father will provide everything we need, and our Heavenly Father commanded us in the Torah that we have to go and provide for other people's needs if they're lacking, we have to then just count on the fact that the teaching itself that we're giving is also going to give us what we need. It makes the calculus very simple, but also to anyone with a fleshly Gentile mentality, terrifying, because you aren't allowed to do a budget. There are no 401ks or college funds in the kingdom of heaven. God provides everything, period. It's so hard to wrap our heads around. It's so black and white that we just have to keep saying it over and over again until it's boring. And once it's boring, you still haven't gotten it because it can't sink in because it goes against everything that we believe. The mind, the heart has to be changed completely before it makes sense. If you are seeking the kingdom and seeking the righteousness of the teaching that presents the kingdom to you, I'm going to keep repeating this. If you are searching the scriptures, you will receive what you need to accomplish your mission in the form of wisdom and commandment. You will receive it, and it will guide your steps. And you won't have to worry about anything because it's like getting a turnkey solution for your life. Here. Here's my instruction for you. Everything you need is contained between these pages. Go. You don't need anything else. Don't even bring a calculator. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You don't have to worry about tomorrow because you don't have to plan for anything because tomorrow you can open up the same book of Scripture and receive the same wisdom and the same commandment to love your neighbor and keep going and keep reading and keep seeking, and keep moving and acting according to its precepts. And it will provide what you need to keep doing that work, period. So what are you worried about? And if you're stressing out because you've got so much to do today, because if you're going to follow Scripture, you have a duty to this person, a duty to that group, a duty to this situation, a duty to this relative, a duty to this activity— Duty, 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 duty everywhere if you're following Scripture. It's endless. So Matthew, who is truly a wise manager, says what everyone who is successful in corporate America knows. You have to let the day's trouble be sufficient for the day. You pick up the scroll, you teach, you preach, you serve, you work, and you go 150 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. And you push it to the limit. You leave everything on the court. But then the buzzer sounds and you go home and you come back the next day. You don't think about how much you have to do. You take it one day at a time. When we started working on the podcast, we didn't say, hey, let's record 300 episodes of the Bible as literature. That's not what we said. We said, let's take it one week at a time and do the best that we can in the time that's allotted to us this week, this day, this hour. Let that be sufficient for the day. There'll be more work to do tomorrow. So once you take that stand and you simply follow the instruction to do the work and take it day by day, under the leadership of the Father of Jesus through his instruction, you do actually over time produce a result. But you never have to worry about what that result is. You are only responsible for what your part is, not even just today, but right now 
during this hour. That's the key to this wisdom. So it's not saying don't worry, everything's fine. It's saying don't trouble yourself with things too great or too marvelous for you. God sets eternity in man's heart, but he is unable to grasp it. Not only can we not grasp eternity, Richard, we can't even grasp the total picture of this week. So let God set the agenda, let him handle the scope, and you just perform your duties today. A slave in the Roman Empire would have no trouble understanding this. Because the slave does what the master says, and if the master's satisfied, I mean, they didn't have Netflix in the Roman Empire, but if the master's satisfied, flip Netflix on and relax. Have a glass of wine. Matthew is relentless in his critique of this basic American value, which is planning out your life. And he's saying you can't even think about tomorrow, just like you can't think about what you eat or what you drink. You aren't allowed to occupy yourself with any of these thoughts. You seek first the kingdom of God, and by filling yourself with this teaching, you act according to its precepts, and you function as its citizen. But the citizens of this kingdom, of this house, are all slaves. And the slave doesn't worry about what his work is tomorrow, because you know what? Even if the slave does figure out what his work is tomorrow, at any moment, the master can say, no, 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 go to this other thing. And that's it. You move on to the other thing. There is no will. You only do the thing that's laid out in front of you. Every single thing on Facebook is something you have to worry about that has nothing to do with what you need to do right now. All of it, all the political stuff, all the good feeling stuff, all the bad feeling stuff, everything that's going to happen to our country, everything that needs to happen to our country, everything that's happening to our – all this stuff, it's completely vain talk. While you're on Facebook, there is someone over your shoulder who needs you to follow the precepts of the kingdom of heaven. That's it. You just need to go and do that and don't worry about what you're going to do. That's the thing. We have so much free time. We can go on Facebook and try to figure out what thing are we going to worry about. We worry about what we're going to worry about. For those of you who have jobs with tons of responsibility, you know who you are. You know how much has to get accomplished. And you know that at the end of the day, and this is such a difficult lesson for people just coming into the workforce to figure out. The work that you have to do is never ending. There is no end to it. There is no solution to the work that you have to do in your job. So understanding that is at the heart of the wisdom of verse 33. So whether you're serving mammon or you're serving the Father of Jesus, the work that needs to be done is without end. This applies to any kind of work, but is only useful when it applies to the work of the kingdom. Since it's endless work, and since you will die before that work is done, why worry? This reminds me very much of the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, because it allows you to do your part in the work for the sake of the kingdom without having to worry about the kingdom itself. You don't have to worry about anything. Just do your part and live. Let the day's trouble be sufficient for the day. Get up this morning, study scripture, visit the poor, take care of someone who's elderly, serve your community in some way, take care of your family, 
Do all of these things that are required of you to the best of your ability, maximizing the use of your time, as Paul says, because the days are evil. And when the day is done, make the sign of the cross, go to sleep, and get up and start the next day. And each day, just take what you need for the journey so that you can, on the one hand, do your duty with earnestness, sincerity, and seriousness, but also enjoy life and not lose sleep worrying about things too great or too marvelous for you. Really, whoever you are, just listen to this verse and apply it. It will make your life less stressful and 1,000% more productive because you won't be wasting time on stress. You'll be applying all that extra time to just doing what you can do today. This verse is not about taking it easy. It's about making good use of the time. It's so easy by worrying to make very bad use of your time. Just like it's bad to spend your time multiplying your words and your prayers and multiplying your worries about your food and your drink, worrying about the problems that might come tomorrow, all of it is really a waste of time when there is so much that we have a duty to perform right now. Thanks very much, Dr. Benson. Have a great week. Thank you, Father. You too. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.